happy this morning? You're about to get happier. Praise the Lord. Last uh, couple of weeks, I, think, I believe this is number four. I think it is. Yeah, number four here. At least that's on my notes. It's number four. We began a new series called Determined. Say Determined. And we've been uh, looking at different accounts in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament about and I made mention of the fact that if you look through all the Old Testament characters of Abraham, David, Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, you know, uh, all the different people in the Bible. And then you come to the New Testament, you see the woman with the issue of blood, you know, the, the man that was born of four, that they lowered him through the roof, remember that? And uh, all kinds of, and the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus' daughter, and uh, that you could just go on and on, but there's one thing common about every single one of these people, and that was this. They were determined to receive from God in the light of any opposition. So we shouldn't be surprised if we have opposition. The devil's not going to just lay back and let you serve God and receive all the blessings without some type of resistance. How many of you know that? He's going to try to put pressure on you. He's going to try to put, that's what this parable of the sower is all about in Mark chapter 4. Satan comes to steal the word of God from our hearts because that, the word of God, he, his number one enemy is the word of God. Satan's greatest enemy is the word. But if we get the word inside of our hearts, then that word's going to set us free. Isn't that wonderful? So we looked at some, we looked at blind Bartimaeus, you know, we looked at the Syrophoenician woman and so forth. And, uh, but I'm going to go a little different direction here today. And uh, I don't know if anybody here has ever heard of Dr. Paul Youngicho. Has anybody ever heard of Young, Paul Youngicho before? Now, doctor, last time I heard, he's got the largest church. Now, there, that might have changed with, with another church in Africa now. It's over there. It's this, I mean, it's, <laughs> you talk about huge. The last time I heard, he had the largest church in the world. It's in Seoul, Korea. That's South Korea, Seoul, Korea. And, uh, you know, he came out of extremely humble circumstances, extreme poverty and, and a war-torn country that he was living in at the time. He's like 81 now. But, uh, you know, he came out of obs obscurity. He came out of, of terrible situations that he was in, more than what we will ever experience in our lives. Make a long story short, the Lord called him into the ministry and he accepted the call to pastor, you know, and so forth. And uh, not knowing that at some point he would have the largest church in the world. I think he has 850,000 people now in his church. He's got like 500 some pastors on staff. <laughs> Amen. I just saw a picture. I saw a picture of it recently and it's just a sea of people, you know, as far as the eye could see, you know. And, uh, and it just so happens that the largest church in the world is a full gospel, born-again, tongue-talking church. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. And uh, I was reading in his, in his book called The Fourth Dimension. He's got a book called The Fourth Dimension. And there was a, a, a portion of a chapter in there that really grabbed my attention uh, that will tie into what we're talking about here today. And we're talking about the subject of being determined, being determined to receive from the Lord. And uh, can I just read this to you this morning? He, now, he was about, he sat down, had lunch with a, with a neurosurgeon, you know. Those are the real smart people, you know, that do brain operations and on the spine and on the, on the head and so forth, you know. And, uh, and this really, really caught my attention. He says, uh, 
And this is, and I quote, this is Paul Youngicho here. He says, One morning I was eating breakfast with one of Korea's leading neurosurgeons. And he was telling me about the recent findings about the various operations of the brain. And he asked, Dr. Cho, do you know that the speech center in the brain rules over all the nerves? The speech center of the brain has total dominion over other nerves. Now, this is a leading neurosurgeon in Korea. This is years ago they discovered this. And then Dr. Cho, he said, he laughed and he said, uh, he says, well, I've known that for a long time. And he asked me, he says, how did you know that? In the world of neurology, these are new findings. And he said this, he says, I, I replied, he says, I learned that from Dr. James. He said, I learned that from Dr. James. And the neurosurgeon said, who is Dr. James? He didn't know. <laughs> he says, uh, why, he was one of the famous doctors in biblical times nearly 2,000 years ago. And uh, he has a book. And in chapter 3, in the first few verses, Dr. James clearly defines that the activity and the importance of the tongue and the speech center. And the neurosurgeon was completely amazed. He says, does the Bible really teach about this? He said, yes, the tongue is the least member of the body, and it can bridle the entire body, the whole body. Then the nearest surgeon began to expound on their findings, and he said that the speech nerve center has such power over the body that, the, that, that simply speaking can give one control over the body to manipulate in a way that he wishes. He said, for example, if someone keeps on saying, I am going to become weak, now, they scientifically found this out. He says, if they say, I'm going to become weak, then right away all the nerves receive the message and they say, oh, let's prepare to become weak. For if we receive the instructions from our central communications that we should become weak, they then in the natural sequence adjust their physical attitude to weakness. And so, if someone says, well, I have no ability, I can't do this job. Then right away, all the nerves begin to declare the same thing. Yes, they respond. We receive instruction from the, from the central nervous system saying that we have no abilities. So to, to give up striving to develop any capability, we must prepare ourselves to become part of an incapable person. If someone says here, and I'm almost done with this. If someone says, keep saying, I am very old. I am so very old and tired and can't do anything, then right away the speech center control response begins giving out orders to that effect. The nervous system responds, yes, we're old. We are ready for the grave. Let's be ready to disintegrate. If someone keeps on saying that he, that he is old, that person is soon going to die. Now he goes on to list some other things there, but my point I wanted to make is this, is that Here's a leading neurosurgeon, and science really should prove out what the Bible says already. Amen. We believe the Bible, but I believe that God's going to use even natural uh, science and so forth that's going to confirm that the Word of God is true. And so he went on to say some other things about how that when someone says, this is the neurosurgeon, when, he's, when they said, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough, we're broke, we don't have what it takes then immediately everything starts lining up for hopelessness in a person's life to go in that direction. Isn't that amazing? But you know, the opposite is true as well. 
Now let's go to James chapter 3 for a minute here and let's take a look at this this morning. In James chapter 3, So we're talking about being determined. That is the key ingredient to receiving anything from the Lord. I'll just go as far as to say this. Anytime I have ever received anything from the Lord, I had resistance. I had opposition. The feelings weren't there. How <laughs> I many you know what I'm talking about? But we shouldn't think it's strange concerning the trial that we're going through as though something unusual is happening to us. That's part of the process, amen? But we can fight through. We looked last week at Jairus. We looked at the woman with the issue of blood, and both of them had to work through opposition. I mean, Jairus, was on his, he was with Jesus on the way to his house to heal his daughter. She was at the point of death. And right while they're on the way, a woman of, with the issue of blood slips through the crowd Stops him in his tracks. She receives healing supernaturally. She had opposition, you know. And by the time he was done ministering to her, through her faith, he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. The, the, the people from Jairus' house came and said, don't trouble the master any, anymore. Your little daughter's dead. Just why bother the master? She died. So there was opposition right there. He's probably thinking, why did this woman, this, she's the blame for this. You, don't, you know, it's always easy to point, point the finger and blame someone else. Jesus looked at him when they said that. They said, uh, your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Your math, the master, your little daughter's dead. And Jesus said, fear not, only believe. Fear not, only believe. That's what we need to do. Fear not, only believe. Glory be to God. Now in James chapter 3, verses 2 through 10, we're going to read this out of the Amplified Translation. Someone said that's the woman's Bible. What do you mean? It's a little more wordy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's just a joke. I love the Amplified Bible. Someone said it's the loud translation. It's amplified, right? <laughs> but we see something here in James chapter. Now, before I read this, I want you to realize that James is the half brother of Jesus Christ. He grew up in the same household as Jesus. Now, Jesus was the firstborn, of course. His father was not Joseph. His father was God. His mother was Mary. Where James's father was Joseph and his mother was Mary. Jesus, the Bible is clear about the fact that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Okay? Don't you think if you grew up in the same household of Jesus, being the elder brother, that you're going to pick up certain traits, you're going to learn certain things from him that's going to make a huge difference in your life? Do you all think that? If we grew up in the household of Jesus, boy, I'll tell you. And I'll tell you, one of the things that James learned more than anything was the power of the spoken word, the power of your tongue. Praise God. Because he was an, eye, he was an eyewitness. He grew up in the same household is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he said something here, and I'm going to bring out some things here today I believe is revelation, at least it was to me. I never knew this before. But he says in verse 2, for, many, for we all often stumble and fall and offend at many things. And if anyone does not offend in speech, never says anything wrong, he has fully developed character and a perfect man, able to control his whole body and to curb the entire nature. He said, 
We set bits in horses' mouths to make them obey us, and we can turn about their entire bodies. Verse 4, Likewise, look at the ships. Though they are so great and driven by rough winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the impulse of the helmsman determines. Verse 5, Even so the tongue is a little member, and it can boast great things. See how much uh, wood or how much great a forest, a tiny spark can set ablaze. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of wickedness among our members, contaminating and depraving the whole body and setting on fire the wheel of birth cycle of man's nature, being itself ignited by hell. Verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea animal can be tamed and has been tamed by human nature, but the human tongue can be tamed by no man. It is restless, undisciplined, evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and the Father, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth forth comes blessings and curses. These things ought not be, my brethren. All right. Now, I'm sure you've all read this before. Have you ever read this scripture before about James? Now, here's what I want to, want to bring out is this. He said the tongue is a little member. He said it's like this. He said, first of all, he said it's like the bit in a horse's mouth. All right. Now, I had some experience growing up uh, with horses. Okay. I didn't own a horse, but my parents would send my sister and I. We went to the United Methodist Church, and back in those days, I think they still do, they had horse camps for like a week. And they would send my sister and I to a horse camp for a week. It was awesome because you got your own horse. They trained you how to uh, take care of that horse, how to clean it and bridle it and put the saddle on and brush it down. I mean, feed it, everything you can think of. And it was, it was pretty awesome. But I remember one of the things that used to kind of freak me out at first because I was probably 11, 12 years old is trying to put that bridle in that horse's mouth. Because I didn't know if the thing was going to bite me or what, you know, because the teeth on a horse are pretty darn big, okay? And you would slip that bridle up. I remember just putting it in his mouth, and he'd open his mouth. You'd see his big pearlies in there, big, you know, big teeth, big horse, you know. And I thought that the size of that bit, at least the piece of metal that goes across, and it breaks in the middle so it's, it can move in the middle, at least the ones we had. And that, that little, I thought... That, this is before I knew this scripture. I thought, isn't it amazing how this little tiny bit will control the direction of this horse? This little bit. And I, I proved it out, and they trained us, okay? We even did a little bit of jumping and stuff like that, you know? But uh, it, it was just amazing how just a little pressure on that rein, you can make it go right or left, or if you want to make it go reverse, you back, pull them both back, and it backs up. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I thought, isn't that amazing how a little bit as small as that bit is compared to the size of that horse is so minute, yet it controls the direction of that entire body of that horse. It could be 1,000 pounds, 1,200 pounds, depending on the, the type of horse that it is. You see what I'm saying? Then he goes on to talk about how that a, a ship or an, an ocean line or something like that, a big boat. Now we've got these cruise boats, you know, which you've seen. Anybody here taken a cruise before? I have. Okay. I mean, people say, I'm going to go to an island or something. I said, man, we've got one right here, Neville Island. (laughs) 
So where'd you go? Some great out in Neville Island? Okay. <laughs> but uh, listen, that little, that rudder on the ship, relatively speaking, in compared to the size of that boat is so small. But that rudder will determine the direction of that ship. And that's something that's much, much bigger than a horse. But the, 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 the rudder determines the direction, no matter how, how, how the waves and the winds are beating against that boat, that rudder will determine which way it's going to go. And he said the tongue is just like that. Now here's something maybe you didn't realize. You don't see the rudder. You don't see the bit. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And the very thing that you don't see, now we know it's there. Once the bit is in the horse's mouth, it disappears. You don't see it. But that little bit, though it can't be seen, controls the entire direction of that horse. And once, well, the boat's in the water, you can't see the rudder, but that, that little rudder compared to the size of that ship will determine the direction of which way that ship is going to go. Isn't that something? And so he, he talks about how that, and I love these two examples here because the bit and the rudder are two very small things which cannot be seen, but they control the direction of that entire body. Now go with me real quick this morning to Proverbs chapter 12. I'm only going to look at a couple of these this morning, and that's why I mentioned about that handout that I have back there on scriptures about the mouth and the tongue. There's several scriptures on those back there, so Pick one of those up. If we run out, we'll bring more next week. Okay, because once you have a revelation of the power of the tongue, what you're saying, it can change the course of life. It can change your destiny. Now stop and think about it for a minute. In Romans chapter 10, it says that, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When you said, and when you said Jesus, you are Lord, or come into my heart, however you said that, you literally change your eternal destiny. I remember when I was bound for hell, when I was, I was a sinner. I remember that as a 16-year-old kid. I needed born again. And when I prayed and I said, Jesus, come into my heart. <coughs> I believed a miracle took place. The greatest miracle ever took place. I came out of darkness into light. Amen. I was at a Methodist youth camp in Jamonville, 1976. And that's where someone witnessed to me and, and I received the Lord. Hallelujah. My point being is this. If the words of your mouth change your eternal destiny, which is the ultimate if the words of your mouth change your eternal destiny, how much more will the words of your mouth change the everyday affairs of your life? Remember the neurosurgeon? He said the, what, the, the speech center of the brain controls all other nerves in the body. That's the king that's on top. Well, James mentioned that, didn't he? He said, well, pastor, I know that. I've heard this before. Well, you're going to hear it again. Because we have to be careful with our words. We have to say what the Bible says. And if we do something, if we say something, we should, if we say words that are 
full of fear and full of unbelief, we can say, Father, you know what? Forgive me. I screwed up here. I messed up here. Forgive me in Jesus' name. That's what I do. Amen. There's probably not a week that goes by. I don't say some kind of repentant prayer. Say, oh, God, forgive me. <laughs> That's a good place to be, isn't it? Now, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Now, who wrote Proverbs? Solomon. Now, Solomon was the smartest dude in the East. Okay? He was the wisest. And God gave him that wisdom. That's David's son. And the Bible says people, even the Queen of Sheba, would, she heard about him. She came from miles away just to sit at his feet and to hear his words. She says, my God, the half wasn't even told me. That's, that's her own words. She goes, just to see his wealth and his riches and his servants and all. And the, and the words that he, the Bible says he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. Okay? So when he, when he would speak... The wisdom of God will be flown through him. And he said this in verse 18. There is he that speaketh like the piercing of the sword, but the tongue of the wise is what? Health. I'll read this out of the Amplified. There are those that speak rashly like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. Is that up there? Yeah. See, it brings healing. So, the, so in other words, the tongue... Of the wise is what? Health. Do you know that your words have a direct correlation to how you're going to feel? Amen. Think about it. So, in other words, we don't talk, we don't want to talk sickness and disease. We don't want to talk, and that's people love to talk about sickness and disease. Oh my God. The news media loves to talk about it. Swine flu. Who wants flu from a hog anyway, right? <laughs> but you know, you hear things. And nowadays you hear you see things and you hear things. I see it on the internet. I see about this flu going around. Listen, you do not have to be afraid of that. That's a plague and that doesn't belong to you. And you don't have to walk around with a big mask over your face. I saw people the other day walking around, look, they just came out of surgery, you know, a big mask walking around, afraid of germs, you know. That's bondage. That's bondage, amen? We're not making fun of people. We're just saying that it's, there's a higher road, there's a higher way to go. I say things on a regular basis. I get healthier by the day. Praise God. And God, God is my eternal witness. I feel stronger and healthier than I did when I did 25 years ago. Amen. And I'm 57. Amen. I am not lying to you. I'm telling you the God honest truth. I feel better than I did 25, 30 years ago. I have more energy, more strength. Amen. Because I've learned some things that the tongue of the wise, the Bible even says, he that will love life and see good days. And Peter, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Praise God. So your tongue is the control center. Remember that? It controls everything. If you say, I get healthier by the day, I'm getting healthier every day, guess what's going to happen? Your whole nervous system is going to line up for that. It's, it's going to say, let's get ready for health. Let's get ready. Praise the Lord. Something we need to be really careful about. There's a lot of people that, you understand what I'm saying? People have old folks' jokes 
They call it senior moments. You forgot something. Call it that. Oh, that's a senior moment. Ha, 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 ha. That's not funny. Now, there's one. There's an example. Patty's sister, Patty. Oh, I'm telling you, I've known her for a long time, 20-some years. And when you talk about someone who has the Word of God in her mouth, and she's 80, what, three years, what, young? 83? Okay. 84 years young. You know? But you know, I've learned some things. I've, I learned from Sister Patty and her sister Peg. And you know, every time, and, not, and if you want to talk about somebody that's been through some things, talk. To, it's hard to believe what she's been through growing up, the way they grew up and stuff. It's, it's almost like a, did it really happen? Yeah, it did happen. And every time I talk to her, there's one thing I, 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 Patty always says, and I respect that. I said, are you doing good? She goes, we're so blessed, Pastor Keith. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going through things, because I know she goes through things. But she's, she's allowed her tongue to speak what God's Word says, and she'll always, like cream, always rise up to that place. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, uh, this Proverbs says that there's those that speak rashly, but the, the tongue of the wise is health. Hallelujah. As people say things, you know, just about the time I get ahead financially, then something breaks in the house. You're cursing yourself. I used to say that too. Okay. Just as soon as I get a little bit ahead, something happens, and there I have to fork out a bunch of money for that, you know. No, that's, that's cursing yourself. Amen? Listen, if the children of Israel's shoes and clothing lasted for 40 years and didn't wear out, God can keep your machinery, He can keep your washer and dryer, He can keep your car, He can keep anything. Praise the Lord. Are you with me now? See, I used to say that. I mean, I'm telling you, I was a professional at it, you know. As soon as something good happens, oh, God, here comes something else that's going to cost me financially, you know. Well, I, I quit saying that. Amen? So people do that with their tongues, all right? Now look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life. Say that, death and life. Death and life. Or in the power of God? Or in the power of the devil? No, it says that death and life are in the what? Now, who wrote this? Solomon wrote this, right? He's the wisest person up until Jesus. He's the smartest person because he had the wisdom of God. Smartest person that ever walked the earth. So smart that people come from hundreds and thousands of miles away just to sit at his feet and hear what he had to say. Because he was so wise, full of God's wisdom. It was the wisdom of God. But he made mention of this now. He wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, but we know that we only have 31 Proverbs, right? So the Holy Ghost saw to it, we're going to put these 31 out of 3,000 Proverbs, we're going to put these into the canon of Scripture, okay? Because the Bible even says if everything in John, the, the Apostle John said, if everything was written that Jesus said or did, he said, I suppose even the world itself couldn't contain the books. But we do have four Gospels. And the Spirit of God saw to it that there are certain things that were going to be put in the Scripture to make up the canon of Scripture for us to stand upon. And that's what we have today. Now notice this. He says, death and life. 
and verse 21 say death and life. Now it's interesting, he didn't just say death, he said death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In other words, when you have revelation of the power of your tongue and what you say, you will eat what you say. You will eat what you say. <laughs> you will. Good or bad. Good or bad. Now the beautiful thing about it is, we're all coming out of the same boat, so to speak. Right? We, we've all had issues with our tongue. We've all had problems with saying wrong things and so forth. We've all, all of us, every one of us, we're not pointing any fingers. But the beautiful thing about it is, now James said the tongue can no man tame. That's true. But the Holy Ghost can help you tame your tongue. Let me give you an example. Have you ever, as a Christian, have you ever been with somebody or talking with somebody and you were about to say something but you had a check in your spirit that said, don't say that? Raise your hand if you've had that. What was that? That was the Holy Ghost trying to tame your tongue. And then when you didn't listen to it, you ended up regretting it. Because maybe it was a information that you shouldn't have said that you know, ended up hurting somebody. It could be anything, you know. And we've all been there and done that. But the Holy Ghost, you know, you've got a person living on the inside of you. You know, it's just like I've said this before. When you see a, a woman that's expecting, she's eight months, nine months pregnant, you know, you look at her and you just say, there's another person in that person. We don't have a problem believing that. Amen. There's another person in that person. Why is it hard for us to believe that there's another person living on the inside of us? Galatians 2.20, Paul the Apostle said this. He says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Glory to God. It's no longer I that live. Another translation says it's simply Jesus borrowing your physical body. Praise the Lord. How many of you are believers here this morning? You've got Jesus in the person of the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. Now, don't try to figure that out up here, okay? You don't, you don't have to figure that one out. Amen? You just believe it because it's Scripture. Praise the Lord. I don't, know, I don't fully, totally understand, now some people do, how my car runs. But it doesn't hinder me from using my vehicle. I don't have, I mean, if your car breaks down, don't call Pastor Keith. I'll pray for it. I'll pray for you. But I'm not so inclined that way, you understand? <laughs> Some people are, they're gifted in that way. I'm, I'm not, okay? But it doesn't hinder me. Just because I don't understand how my vehicle works doesn't hinder me from getting in there, pressing the button, turning the card, and taking off and going somewhere. I never even think twice about it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And just because you lack knowledge doesn't mean you can't flow in it and can't function in it. And just because you don't understand how, how can God live in them and God live in me and how can he be in all of us, don't try to figure that out. Just accept it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I made mention of the fact I had a minister friend years ago, many, many years ago. He's still in the ministry, traveling minister. And he accepted to do, a, he's not wasn't a pastor, but he, he decided because someone had asked him 
to uh, do a marriage. This couple, one young couple, wanted to get married, so he agreed. They were friends, you know, and so he agreed to do such. And as he met with them for premarital counseling, and he sat down with them, I make this real short and sweet, so you understand. And he, he would talk to them, and then the, the bride to be uh, kept saying these words. Now I heard I, this wasn't just through someone else, like through the grapevine. I heard it myself because I asked my friend Joe. His name's Joe Morris. I said, Joe, tell me about that situation again. I want to hear it personally. He said, well, this young couple met with me, and the, the wife-to-be kept saying she had this fear of hurting or breaking her ankle before she would go down the aisle to get married. And they met a couple of times, and I think two or three times she said the same thing. Nothing's, she's walking perfectly fine at this point. All right? And so he, he said to her, he said, he says, not trying to be disrespectful, man, but, you know, you shouldn't be saying and releasing those words. You're going to give the devil ammunition to work with that. Well, lo and behold, a couple of months down the road, they're about to get married. She falls and breaks her ankle. Now she's got to walk down the aisle with crutches. Didn't hinder her from getting married. But who wants to go hobbling down the aisle, you know? I do. You know what I'm saying? Who wants to do that? Someone says, well, that was just circumstantial. No, listen, she prophesied her own situation. Amen? You're the prophet of your own life. What does that mean? You're, what you say about you has more weight than anything that anybody else. I'm not so concerned what others say about me. It's what I say about me that matters. That's what really matters. I'm not really concerned if someone else says something about me. You, know, you want it to be good, of course. But... At the end of the day, my words control my life. Now, she prophesied. She, she was, the Bible says in Job chapter 3, verse 25, Job said this, The thing that I was greatly afraid of has come unto me. He said, The thing I feared has come upon me, and that which I was greatly afraid of has come unto me. Job said the thing he feared came to him. So, in other words, what you fear the most is attracted to you, what you faith the most is attracted to you. Did you ever hear anybody say, I'm afraid I'm catching a healing? <laughs> Someone says, Achoo! oh, you must be catching a cold. Like you pull your mitt out there. I got it. I got it. You know what I'm saying? Listen, just a couple of weeks ago, I had every symptom of the flu try to come on me. I didn't even talk about it. I didn't even give word to it. But I had the headaches, all those symptoms that tried to come on me just a couple of weeks ago. And I said, no, you don't. I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. And the curse of the law is poverty, sickness, and death, spiritual death. So I've learned enough to say, no, no. It knocked on my door. But I had a choice. I had a choice to say, I'm going to allow these symptoms to take root in my body, or I'm going to say, say I had to stand up. I had to resist that. Okay? I had to be determined. Now, you can't be determined unless you know what the Word says. Let's just settle that right now. How can you be determined if you don't know what you're standing on is the truth? The truth is the Word of God. Jesus said, Thy Word is truth. And when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. Praise the Lord. 
And within 30 minutes, every symptom left. See you later. <laughs> it left. Praise God. And I stood and I said, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you. And I, I, I passed up a marvelous opportunity to get the flu right then. Now, you might be thinking, you might be thinking, dear God, I've never heard this before in my life. Let me tell you something. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. They're in the power of your tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, we're going to wrap this up here today. Go to Mark chapter 11. Now, remember the phrase this, is that the, the rudder of the boat and the bit in the horse's mouth are unseen, just like your tongue, but it still controls the course and the direction of your life. What if you say to one of your kids, you're never going to amount to anything, you're a mistake. Now, there, are, there are people that talk like that to their kids. We ought, we ought never say that to our kids. We ought to say nothing but good things over our children and our grandchildren. I'm telling you, great-grandchildren, we ought to be saying positive, good, wholesome things over them. Some of us were maybe a product of bad words when we grew up. People said things over us that were, you know, maybe they were in a drunken stoop. Maybe they were high. Maybe they were drunk. And they said something over you that they, they don't even know they said, but the devil was talking through them to make you feel like a loser. Like you're never going to amount to anything in this life. Now the devil knows that he has to use, if he can use a person's voice to say something to you, then he has more leverage. On the same token, God uses someone's voice to, to have more leverage to communicate on a physical level, not just spiritual, but on a physical level, just like today, to encourage you and to build you up and to give you supernatural hope. Are you with me now? Now, I saw something in here, I'm telling you, in Mark chapter 11. We know this, uh, in Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 14, let's read this. And we'll wrap this up here today. Praise God. Has anybody here ever read Mark chapter 11 before? About the power of the spoken word. How many of you know that we can never exhaust the revelation in this scripture? Never, that right, brother? You could never exhaust. When you think you've got it all figured out, here comes another revelation out of Mark chapter 11. Now, really, it should be called Jesus chapter 11 because he's the one that's talking right here. Mark recorded it, okay? But notice in verse 12, it says, that on the morrow, as they were come from Bethany, it's talking about Jesus, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree far off having leaves, he came if happily he might find anything thereon. But when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered it and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter. And his disciples heard it. Now, Jesus was from this area, right? He was born in Jerusalem. He was not deceived by this tree. I did a little research on there because the time of figs was not yet. There's different types. You know, just like in America, there's different types of apple trees. There's different types of apples, pears. There's different types of pears. And there's different types of fig trees And to this day in Israel. And this particular fig tree 
would develop fruit the same time that the leaves were developed. In other words, they would grow together. Jesus wasn't deceived by the... That's why he happily went to the fig tree. This shows his, his human side. They figured it's got leaves, it's got to have some fruit. And so he went over there and he was looking for fruit. He's going through the bush and he found nothing but leaves. So you might say this was a hypocrite tree. <laughs> All leaves, no fruit. Amen. Now Jesus did something here that is quite amazing. And we see in verse 14, and Jesus answered it. What would you say, Brother Dan? What did you say? He didn't ask you to ask me anything, right? So if I say, Dan, what did you say? What are you going to say? He didn't, he didn't ask me anything, right? Jesus answered a tree. So in other words, this tree had a voice, but not like you and I. Your circumstances have a voice. Your body has a voice. Your bank account has a voice. Your physical body has a voice. Are you with me? Jesus answered it, the tree, and he said unto it. In other words, he said out loud, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Now notice the rest. And his disciples what? His disciples heard it. He's saying it for their sake. But he said it out loud, you know, that they could actually hear it. Now, here's what came to me about this. The Spirit of God showed me this the other day. He said, Keith, there was no fanfare here. There was no bells and whistles and sparks and fireworks going off. He didn't shout at the tree and say, no man will eat fruit of thee hereafter again and you know, start preaching to the tree. He just made a statement. He just said, no man will eat fruit of you hereafter. And he walked away. There was no fanfare. That's the, the word the Lord gave me here. But there was enough power in what he said, and we would call everyday conversation, that it killed that tree from the root system up. It killed it. His words killed a tree. Can your words kill cancer? Decidedly, Yes. Can your words kill debt? Yes. Can your words kill oppression? Yet. Now we know that in the ministry of Jesus that, that he talked to the wind and to the waves. He spoke to limbs to grow out. But now he's talking to a tree. Now in the Jerusalem sun, it can get pretty hot over there, you would think that his disciples probably were thinking at this point, He's been out too long. He's been ministering too long. Maybe the heat's getting to him. They're thinking this like anybody else. Now he's talking to a tree. The Bible says his disciples heard what he said. No man will eat fruit of the hereafter. That's all he said. He didn't stand there and say, I curse you, I curse you, I curse you. Die. <laughs> he didn't do that. He just said, no man will eat fruit of the hereafter. So that just goes to show you that your everyday conversations are either releasing fear or releasing faith. So we want our words to work for us. Glory to God. I get excited about this. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. How many of you love it? The fact that your words can turn it around. Your words can turn the ship around. Your words can turn the horse around. Just like the bit. Just like the rudder. 
Hallelujah. Now, as, you, as we read the rest of this here in verse 14, he says, He answered and said to the tree, No man will eat fruit of thee hereafter. And his disciples heard it. Now, and then he goes into the temple, cleanses the temple, and then we'll pick it up in verse 20. Same chapter here, verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, don't you know they want the same route? They're looking. <laughs> They're checking it out. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the what? Hmm. Now, can roots be seen? No. On most trees, they're not seen. They're underground. When Jesus spoke to this tree, something happened, but you couldn't see it with your physical eyes yet, or they would have said something right then and there. It, just, it didn't just go poof. You know, whoa, look at that, man. You know, but notice what happened here. This is so interesting. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. Now, Peter didn't say, Lord, the fig tree that you cussed is withered away. He didn't drop a four-letter word on the tree. See, curse and cuss is two different things. The, the, the classic definition of the word curse means to speak negative over. That's a curse. And Peter said this, Master, check it out. Look at this. The fig tree that you cursed is withered away. Isn't that something? In other words, he, Peter was shocked about this. He was now we're going somewhere with this this morning as we wrap this up here. You might think that what you say doesn't have any impact on it, but you're getting to the root of the situation. The Bible says specifically that the fig tree was dried up from the roots. Praise God. Now you can go, you can break a branch off of a tree or whatever, but that's not going to kill the tree per se. You can take a few branches off a tree. It's not going to kill that tree per se. But if you get to the root system. Now even today we have uh, these different, I've been there and I've seen the, the, these tree experts that come out, you know, and, and the way that they treat disease now is they, they, put, they give it a shot in the root system. I think that's kind of interesting. The tree, it's got problems way up there, 100 foot up in the air, you know. So they put a shot, they shoot like a shot. You don't hear the tree go, ouch, that hurts. <laughs> but they put a big shot of whatever it is into the root system, and the root system will it'll bring up that nerve, whatever that is, that medicine for that tree, and it'll kill that disease, whatever it is. And we see here that Jesus spoke some words over a tree that evidently from the natural looked like it was the same thing, looked like nothing happened. However, what he spoke was already going to work. And the next day when they passed by, he said, Master, verse 21, the tree that you cursed is withered away. And then verse 22, Jesus answered and saith unto them, Have faith in God. Let's say that together. Have faith in God. Now that's important. When you face adversity and you face circumstances, I've had the Spirit of God remind me of this. When you face adversity and he says this, when you don't know what to do, when it looks like I'm not sure what to go here, what to do here. The Spirit of God will say, 
have faith in God. Amen? Have faith in me. Have faith in, in the Word. Have faith in God. That settles all arguments. All right, have faith in God. I don't have to figure it out. God's going to take care of it. And I'm a personal witness. I've seen so many things God has done for me through the years, physically, financially, in different ways. Oh, glory to God. From the natural standpoint, I'm thinking, how in the world is this ever going to take place? How in the world is this ever going to happen? But you see, I'm not the miracle worker. Jesus is the miracle worker. And if we have faith in Him, He can touch your kids. He knows how to touch your kids. He knows, he knows who to send across their path. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to be Holy Ghost Junior. I've not been there and done that, okay? But, you know, have faith in God. That just, that just settles all arguments, doesn't it? Yes. Have faith in God. When the doctors say there's no hope for you, have faith in God. When it looks like your kids are demon-possessed temporarily, Holy Ghost says, have faith in God. Hallelujah. Actually, you don't know the spirit realm and you don't see what's going on, but when you're praying, immediately God goes to work and He's beginning to deal with that person, that boy, that girl, that person, that man or that woman. God, is, The Spirit of God is already ranging things, speaking to them. You just don't see it. But you don't know what they're thinking about driving down the road. You don't know what they're thinking about laying there at night. And the Holy Spirit will just not leave them alone. They just won't leave them alone. Praise the Lord. So, verse 22, we've got to wrap this up here. And Jesus answered and saith unto them, Have faith in God. Verily, verse 23, Verily I say unto you, that whosoever, are you a whosoever? Say, I'm a whosoever. What is a whosoever? A whosoever is, best definition I heard was this, everybody won't, anybody can, somebody will. Everybody won't, anybody can, but somebody will. That's a whosoever. Same whosoever in John 3.16. Whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That means anybody can. Does that mean everybody will? No. But anybody can. And somebody will. Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he, notice this, saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now the word say or saith is used three times here. The word believe is only used once. And when Jesus told Brother Hagin years ago when he went to heaven and the Lord appeared to him, the Lord told him this. He says, notice that you're going to have to do three times as much saying as you are believing. Because what you say sets the landmarks for your life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The woman with the issue of blood, she kept saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. Mm. Man, when I, get on, when I get on the subject of healing and faith, it's like a dog on a bone. Oh. <laughs> Glory to God. It just does something for me. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, why didn't the Lord say this? Here's what I want to show you today in closing here. Why didn't the Lord just say, cast this mountain into another mountain? Because it can still be seen. He said, cast the mountain. A mountain is anything to a Jewish person. A mountain is anything that stood between you and the promise of God. An obstacle, right? He said, be thou removed, be thou cast into the what? To the sea. Because the sea is the only thing that's big enough to hold any mountain. The, the largest mountain in the, in the earth today, the sea. You know, there's more water on the earth than there, are, than there is land. For those that don't like to swim, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what the percentage is, but I know it's a lot more. There's way more water on this earth, planet earth, than there is land. 75% water? That's good. We've got some smart people over here. Glory to God. <laughs> 75%. That's awesome. But any. That's right, brother. Amen. Amen. Any mountain can be swallowed up in the sea, and you look and like it never existed. It's gone. It, it not only high, it dissolves that mountain. So he said. When you start speaking to the mountains in your life, God can remove that into the sea and you can look and say, it's like it never existed before. Like it never existed before. Praise God. But it all, it all started with words. Any mountain. You know, God created the mountain with words originally. So if mountains were created by words, they can be removed by words. Okay? Now, we know that, you know, you don't have to necessarily go out and move some real estate. You don't have to go out to some big mountain. There's no reason for that. But we're talking, he's metaphorically talking about here about mountains in your life. Has anybody here ever had mountains in your life? Okay. Now, we like to talk about our mountains. We like to compare the size of a mountain to one another. Did you hear what I did? Did you hear what happened to that? Oh, no. Tell me about that problem, you know. I've, I've heard conversations, for example, uh, in the area of sickness and disease, sometimes you'll go to an office or something, and you'll hear people start talking about comparing notes. Uh, and it's like they try to outdo the other, like, like you had how much pain? Well, let me tell you something else. I had this situation, and I had this much pain. It was this much greater, you know. I've heard that. I've seen that. You know, and people just love to talk about that. But they don't know what they're doing. They, don't like, they lack the revelation. But they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, today, if you're sitting here and you're not sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, if you've never been born again, and I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a person inviting Jesus Christ into your heart. And you say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. That's all, that's all it takes right there. You believe that. A miracle will take place in your life. That's the greatest miracle of all. That's the biggest mountain that could ever be moved in your life. In fact, why don't we do that right now? Close your eyes and say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I, believe I believe that you sent Jesus, you sent Jesus to, die to die for me. I believe, I believe that he not only died, not only died he, was buried, he was buried and raised up from the dead, up from the dead just for me. Just for me. 
I believe that in my heart. And I say, Jesus, you are Lord. Come into my life right now. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, if that was maybe the first time you ever did that, I'm telling you, you just moved the biggest mountain in your life you'll ever, the biggest obstacle, I'm telling you, you are now a child of God in the name of Jesus.